Well, happy Valentine's Eve. <laughs> you ever heard of such a thing? <laughs> Valentine's Eve. Someone said that to me tonight. Um, wow, what a great meal Gabriel put on. I don't know how many of you got to participate in that. You know, cooking for a lot of people is not easy to make it all taste good. So, guys, gift it. Tonight we want to look at the compelling love of God. The compelling love of God. This is not a message on marriage or relationships or anything like that. It is a message about where love comes from. And how we can experience the greatest, uh, the greatest emotions. I, I think God made us in His image. And we experience great emotions. But we experience God. That's where love comes from. So we're going to look at that tonight. See if we can push ourselves to be better lovers. Lovers of God, lovers of fellow man, lovers of those in our life. And the way you do that is you understand who the love giver is. You just don't muster this up someday. You just don't say, oh, I'm going to start loving someday. It's got to come from something greater than you. That's what we're going to learn today, okay? Let's pray. Father, thank you for a sweet time of singing. Thank you for the band and just their constant uh, love for truth and leading us in songs that we can sing from our heart. Truth that comes right from the Word. And so I thank you for these men and women who give so much of their time to help us. We do thank you for your word tonight, Lord. We're privileged to sit here and hear it taught. We're even more privileged, Lord, to apply it to our lives. Because if we're believers and truly saved by the grace of God, we have the Spirit of God who plunges these truth into our hearts, Lord. Wow. And so, Lord, we pray that we would Hear these truths and live these truths. Be gripped by these truths, Lord. Thank you for loving us, Lord. We could never love anyone without your love. And so we pray that that would spur us on tonight, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. I'll be jumping all over in text today. So have your pen sharpened or pencil sharpened and write down some of these. You're going to have to get to them later. Um, just as a fact, when you say, well, I'm going to teach on the love of God. Well, that starts in Genesis 1 and ends in Revelations 2, uh, 22. And so uh, anyway, we'll do our best to highlight some passages. 2 Corinthians 5.14 says, For the love of Christ compels or controls, depending on what translation is, a very good word. It's a very aggressive word. It pushes us. The love of God pushes you. You ever pushed by the love of God? I hope you are. I hope you hear how great and grandiose He is and it pushes you. I hope it pushes you. J.C. Ryle said, Love should be the silver thread that runs through all of our conduct. Listen to that again. The love of God should be the silver thread that runs through all of our conduct. You cannot have Christian conduct, godly conduct, whether that's marriage, whether that is relationships in any sort, you cannot have that if you don't know the love of God to the full extent. 
Now, where does the love of God come? Let me give you a Spurgeon right in the middle of a sermon. I was reading this this week. Um, boy, he was good. He was a great wordsmith. But this is what he said. He said, consider then what this gift was that God gave. He's talking about this gift of love. The greatest gift of love was God giving his son, right? So here's what Spurgeon's talking about in the sermon. Consider then what this gift was that God gave. I should have to labor for expression if I were to attempt to set forth to the fool this priceless boon, but I will not court a failure by attempting the impossible. He's saying, what, how am I going to explain the love of God? Here's what he does say. I will only invite you to think of the sacred person whom the great father gave in order that he might prove his love to men. It was his only begotten son, his beloved son, in whom he was well pleased. None of us have ever had such a son to give. Ours are sons of men. His was the son of God. The father gave his, his other self, one with himself. When the great God gave his son, he gave God himself for Jesus is not in his eternal nature less than God. So, when God gave God for us, he gave himself. What more could he have given? God gave his all. He gave himself. Who can measure such love? So, as we start to unpack this just a little bit in this short little outline today, we come to a quick understanding that if we're going to try to get our mind around love in any way, it has to come back to the Father's love, the Son's love, the Spirit's love, and how we start to love. You'll never love properly till you experience and understand the love of God. That's where your love for your spouse, your children, neighbors, everything will come, generate it, from your understanding of the love of God. And that's what Spurgeon's trying to get across in that quote. Let's look at a couple thoughts. Just short little, short quotes here, just thoughts. And let's even put some, put some scripture to them. Love comes from God. Well, where else would it come from? <laughs> Does it something man somehow generated up? I mean, think about an atheist. Where does he think love came from? Did that evolve out of the soup with the little slug or whatever he was that kind of crawled out? Where did love come from? Well, the Bible's pretty clear. It comes from God. In fact, James 1, 17, you know this verse. Every good thing given, every perfect gift is from above. I would think love's a great gift, isn't it? Comes down from the Father of lights with whom we have no variation and no, shadow, no shifting of shadows. So here we begin to look at this word agapeo, right? This is this Greek word. This love is given from oneself unconditionally. That's the idea of the word. So true love, which we pursue, right? If you're pursuing love, the highest love that you should be pursuing is love that is given of oneself to another unconditionally. Now let's see if we can think through the, how God did this. So that means God's love think about this is eternally given to you and I for our 
for our joy, for our growth, for our best benefit. That's what he does. Now, this definition of God's attribute of love describes his nature to give of himself in order that he can bring about good for others. This is, that's the nature of God. He, he thinks unconditionally of others. Now, he, he, he loves his own glory. He can do that because he's sinless. He can draw glory to himself. He will not share his glory with another, the Bible says. But in his love, his nature is to seek your best interest. That's astounding. See, people tell me all the time, I don't know if I can know God. Um, lots of religions bring up uh, somebody else, Jesus' mother or someone else, trying to get to God because they cannot get their mind around that God loves you so much, he's desiring the best for you. If we're going to stay with a biblical definition that's defined in God, we have to come to that understanding that God, in his nature, design, is design, he's, in his nature designs to give us love that is the best thing for us. Always seeking our interests. This is why John just says in 1 John 4, 8, God, what, is, just a statement, isn't it? God is love. It doesn't have any commentary to it, really, in a lot of ways. There's some things it shows about propitiation and other things that he's done as you go through the text. But it's a statement that God is love. God is agapeo love. He is an unconditional lover. Anybody want to be that? I'd love to be that. <laughs> so, so love's got to come from God. Now, we have to just swim in the deep end of the pool for a minute here. When we think about this, now we think about this, Trinitarian love, because God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, all equally sharing the glory and essence of God, share this same love together. So the Father isn't a greater lover than the Son. The Son's not a greater lover than the Spirit. Together they share in this Trinitarian Godhead a perfect love for one another. And guess when that started? Well, let me take you to a verse. Go to John chapter 17 with me real quick. And I threw in a verb there. I probably shouldn't start it. <laughs> and Jesus in his high priestly prayer the night before um, his death on the cross... As he prayed in the garden, you notice in John 17, verse 24, you should mark this in your Bible. He's already brought us believers into this, so he's not only talking about the disciples, but he's talking about all those who will believe their report of him. So he's, he brings us into this. In verse 24, he says, Father, I desire that they also, that's all of us, that's disciples and all others, whom you have given me, remember, Nobody comes unless the Father gives him, right? So we are a love gift to the Son. So remember, remember agape love, right? We're a love gift from the Father to the Son, and he says nobody comes unless you give them. So this loving Father knows who's are his. He seeks the best for us, and the best thing for us is he gives us to the Son. 
There's no other love greater than that, that the Father thought about you, gave you to the Son. I mean, I get chills when I study this stuff. I, I hope I'm not alone. I hope you think about this and go, God, I, I barely remember my own name today. Right? But isn't that what the verse is saying? Look, the Father, Father, as I desire that they also whom you have given me be with me where I am. Remember he said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you at the end of at his great commissioning, right? Then he goes on, so that they may see my glory which you have given me. So he's about ready to receive back the, or really in a way, pull back the full glory that he had before the foundations of the world. He's always here. He's veiled that while on earth. He dressed himself in humanity because there's no way they would kill him if they knew who he really was. And then we don't have a sacrifice for our sins. Because a lot of people say, well, why didn't he just show them who he was? Well, you and I are going to hell then. Because there's no way you're going to kill him. So he veils his deity. This is all part of his love for us. Now look at this. That they may see my glory, which you have given me. Listen to this. For you loved me before the foundations of the world. Wow. You loved me before the foundations of the world. The, the Godhead shares this immaculate, perfect love for each other. They, they constantly think the best of each other and for each other and act the best towards each other, though they say, share the same essence. Now, this teaches us that the Father has always loved the Son and will continue to love the Son. John 3, 35, just write this down. The Father loves the Son. This is Jesus talking. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hands. So Jesus is telling them, the Father loves me. The Father agapeos me. He, he seeks my best interest. That's love. It's deep, deep love. Oh man, men, just put this back here for a minute because we're going to get to it in, a, in time here. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loves the church. Whew. All right, now, the son's love for the father is equally shared. You're in John 17, just turn over to John 14 real quick. The son's love for the father is equally shared. I want you to see this. Because sometimes they think, well, the father, you know, he's the father, right? We love our children probably more than they love us for a while, at least, <laughs> until we get older and need their help. <laughs> and then they got to really love us, right? But we, wouldn't we tend to think that us parents, we love our children maybe more than they love us? Is that too far thinking? We, we probably, I don't know, we're just, we just probably think that because we've done everything for them, Right? You women birthed them, you know. I don't know what we did. Changed a few diapers, I hope. You know, we were in there raising money, doing all that. So we think we love them. So we think maybe that the father loves the son more in our feeble minds. Well, that's not true. Look at John 14, 31. Here in the middle of this conversation, Jesus says, so that the world may know that I love the father. I love the father. The Father loves me, and I love, I agapeo, the, I, I seek the best interest of my Father. That's why he would never go against the Father's plan, because he loves the Father. 
So the world may know. This is the message. He wants the world to know that I love the Father. I unconditionally love the Father and I'll give myself for the Father's will. It's amazing, isn't it? So, the love between the Father and the Son also presumably characterizes the relationship with the Holy Spirit. Even though there's not a text that says that, we understand that the Word is inspired. We understand that the Trinity cannot be, cannot be um, separated. They share the same essence and glory. So you have the Trinity. They're linked together by their Godhead. They share essence. They share glory together. Yet they're distinct persons so that they minister to us. But within that Trinity, I know this is a little bit deep, they share this perfect love that is absolutely perfect bond that holds them together. Always thinking of each other. It's amazing. Now, I want you to think about heaven for just a moment. This type of selfless love and love that gives of itself to the other must make heaven an incredible place. Not, I mean, not simply because our loved ones are there, ones that know Jesus Christ and have gone before us. That's beautiful. But, but think about what makes heaven, heaven. There is a triune God, a Father, Son, and a Spirit who love each other absolutely perfect and emulate that love in front of all of their children for eternity. When you're around somebody who's really in love, have you ever been around that couple? Like, okay, easy. <laughs> they're just always holding hands or just all in love. I mean, they're kind of infectious. And, you know, wives are going, hey, <laughs> my hand's just sitting here and it's cold. And that's such a, you know, hopefully they're still doing that down the road. But that just falls short, doesn't it? Think about heaven. Those who, who are loved ones that have gone before us, what they are seeing night and day, 24-7, constantly, no, not night, there is no night in heaven, constantly in front of them is a spectacular display of love. Never failing. Kind of makes you want to go there, doesn't it? And Jesus is coming someday to take us. And you and I, for eternity, will experience that love. Now, can you imagine such a place where the Godheads operate in this perfect love and those with them who are now, now here's where we, where, where we take a look at our loved ones or, or us in the future, where sin is removed and they're soaking up that love. It's amazing. So God's word clarifies that the Godhead loves perfectly and he's displayed it they have displayed it from past present future for all time and never a glitch not one hiccup in their love for each other now put the jesus put put the son on the cross and keep that love the father has for the son and how costly that was that's why spurgeon said he gave his son our sons are men they can't rescue anybody. He gave his son this perfect love they had. He gave that one. Astounding. Astounding. Second thought, we got to roll here. That was a little long. But I mean, wow, we could play with that for a while, couldn't we? Number two, God's love for sinful men. 
God's love for sinful man. This is an amazing thought. This Trinitarian self-giving love is characterized by the love the Trinity has for mankind. That's the way we know it, right? We are not yet in that sinless state. We're still wrestling with our unredeemed humanness. Even as believers, we still wrestle with sin, though Christ paid the past, present, and future sins. We're still wrestling with that. We wrestle with doubt. We wrestle with lack of love. We wrestle with all kinds of emotions that are not of God. They're sinful. And so we don't quite understand this. But in all of that, despite that stuff, God, the Trinitarian God, the Godhead that we worship, loves mankind. He loves you with all your sin, with all of our blemishes, all of our failings, all of our doubt that comes with us. He loves us. And you know these verses. Let me just give you some verses here where God engages, engages with us relationally, right, as sinners. Just write these down. 1 John 4.10. In this is love. Now, now he's going to give another definition of love, right? He's going to define agape love. Not that we loved God. Well, that's a good statement, right? You were not born a lover of God and then somehow lost it. You know, know, so many people teach that, right? Age of innocence and all that kind of stuff. And then they get, you know, there's a, even within evangelical circles, teach this. You did not love God in the womb or out of the womb or never did you love God until Christ gave you the ability to love. Okay, so think about this. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation, a satisfactory payment, a very pleasing payment, a love offering, you might call it, for our sins. So the son goes back to the father with his own blood in a sense as he hangs on the cross and says, Father, I love you. I know you love these fallen mankind, all that you will draw to yourself, who will place their faith in you. Here is myself, my own self, whom you love. I have offered myself in their place. Wow. That's love. We would probably not give up a parking spot at Publix for somebody. He gave up his life so we would know love. Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrated, you know, this, you know this verse, don't you? But God demonstrated his own love towards us. This isn't, this isn't, boy, there's so many religions that have God so distant you can't even touch him. This is personal, isn't it? This is you and me in the text. But God demonstrated his own love towards us. Why? When we got all cleaned up and ready to go? no. While we were yet sinners. (laughs) That filthy, wretched sinner, Menez down there, is going to cost my son his life. And I gladly give him for him. That's love. That's love. A couple more, you know these verses. John 3.16, anybody ever heard of that one? If you haven't, let me read it to you. For God so loved the world. He loved the world. His creation that he spoke into existence in six days, formed, built man in his image. That creation he loved. 
And the only hope for that world was that he would give his only begotten son, his unique son, the very reflection of himself. That's what that word means. It's not an offspring like we would have. It's that unique one. Nobody else could be like him because he was God. He gave that one that whoever, and the whoever isn't just like, well, whoever. It's the ones he knows. Whoever's you, 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 who put your faith in Christ Jesus. That one, whoever believes, will never perish and will experience the love of God for all of life, for all of eternity. That's amazing. That was a little bit of my translation of that verse, but I think I was pretty right on, wasn't I? Galatians 2.20, Paul says it this way, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So what I'm doing here is giving you direct and personal testimonies, not through some saint, not through some religious group, but I'm giving you direct and personal testimonies from the Godhead himself that he loves sinners. And you can say, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, God loves me. It's an amazing thought. It's a small group. I think God loves his creation, but those that he drew to himself and gave to his son and eternally secured them forever, he has an agape love that is beyond explanation. Now, at the hearing of this truth, that the purpose of the Father, Son, and Spirit is to give themselves to us should cause great joy in worship, right? Just causes us to go, wow. And it's God's nature, I want you to get this, because here, here, here's why I want this, you to hear this, because in our mind, I want you to think about this, in our mind, we will somehow establish God different than he is. You'll start saying, God's mad at me, God doesn't like me, God is harsh to me, um, uh, God doesn't understand what I'm going through. I mean, we'll just conjure up this stuff. What I want to prove to you tonight, it is God's nature to act this way towards you. And though you feel his disciplining hand, Hebrews 12 tells us he what? He disciplines the ones he loves. And brother and sister, if he's not disciplining you, be scared. If you want to run around and sin and nothing happens to you and your great God doesn't love you enough to say, hey child, we're not doing that anymore, be scared that you're not in the family. Because he does discipline the ones he loves. But it's a loving discipline. He will take you on the knee and you will hug him when you're done. Right? Ever do that with your children? Good discipline. The children will run into your arms afterwards because they know you love them. And though we're fallible, he is infallible in a way he disciplines us. So let me sum this up. Tim Keller said this. He said, we're far worse than we ever imagined. <laughs> Anybody agree with that statement? We're far worse than we ever imagined, and listen to this, in far more love than we can ever dream. Now think about that. Because in our minds, we have us not as bad as the next guy most of the time. And you sat right here in this pulpit Sunday, a 76-year-old man, my mentor, tell you that a year ago he went through a spiritual drought. After years of raising several of us Timothys in the ministry, he, he told me, he said, Scott, I know exactly what I'm preaching on. 
Last year, I went through a very dry spiritual time in my life, and God got a hold of me. It happens. And what it started with, and if you heard what he was doing, he was showing you how wicked we are, even as believers. And yet we're so much more loved than we actually understand. Three, man's love for God and others. Man's love for God and others. Because God is our Father, we imitate His person or we better theologically we imitate his what we call communicable 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 that got it communicable attributes he has incommunicable attributes meaning he has uh, uh, he can be everywhere at one time we can't imitate that some of us try you know <laughs> you know <laughs> he's trying to act like God he's going 900 miles an hour uh, um, we, we can't do that the omnis right but there are some that we can communicate through us. Love, joy, peace, those type of things. God lets us communicate those through. So, because God's our Father and we are His children, there should be some family traits. Want to know if you're saved? Do you want to know if you're saved? Do you resemble the family? Particularly, do you resemble the Father? See, people say, you know, Pastor, I don't know if I'm saved. Well, whose father are you acting like? Jesus said to, the, to his Pharisees, I know your father. He's the father of lies. John, Paul said in Ephesians 2, said that we used to belong to the one, the father, the one who works in the sons, his sons particularly, who works in the sons of disobedience. I know it's harsh, but you're either fa- you're, your father is either the devil or he's God, one of the two. So when we think about love, we should be emulating our father. He passed shirt and dream- jeans down. If my dad was here, and Lord willing, we just bought tickets for him to come to the wedding, um, he'll make it. His health is not good. But if you see my father and you see me, you'll go, oh, wow, Scott looks like his dad. So there's attributes. So, Paul writes this in Ephesians, one of those therefores Jerry was talking about this weekend. Ephesians chapter 5, look at this with me, go there with me. Ephesians chapter 5, why don't you put your finger on this. Want to know if you're a Christian? Answer this question. Am I an imitator of God? Therefore, be imitators of God, verse 1. As what? Ugly stepchildren? No, as his children. Right? And if you're a stepchild, I, forgive me, I shouldn't have said that. that. I really apologize for that. I didn't mean that. But what I do mean is what the verse says. Be imitators of God as, look at the, look at the, the way he addresses the children here. Beloved children. God has chosen to set his love on you. So he says, be imitators of that. There should be an imitation that comes from that, not just, you know, a a personation, right? We have impersonators that do stuff. This This is family traits that come out of us. 
And notice how he describes this. This is what's so amazing because you can't separate God and Christ. He says, walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself for you. So he says, be imitators of God and walk like Christ. Wait a minute. Didn't you tell me to imitate God and you told me to walk like Christ? Yeah. Well, am I supposed to imitate Christ or am I supposed to imitate God? Yeah. This is, this is why people try to say that Jesus isn't God, just don't know the Bible. You can see that, right? There's a verse on the Trinity right here. But notice what Christ did. This is what his love did. Loved you and gave. There's the main verb right there, right? That's that unconditional love. Gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. So God loves agape love. And, and the son loved his father so much that he gave him the greatest gift. He gave himself. That's how much he loved the father. And that's how much the father loved him. You can see this within them working together all in the spirit, illuminating us to this truth of who the father and son's relationship is. Now, So man loves God, right? So he tells us to be imitators. Walk in love as Christ did. But the Bible always tells us to love others. And just write this down because we don't have time to go there. You know this verse, Matthew 22, 37 through 39. And he, that's Jesus, said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Remember, this is the greatest command. They're trying to trap him. He brings him to this. Game over. Then he says, <laughs> the second is like it. You shall what? Love your? As what? Hmm. That's God love. So man is to love God and to love others. Now, the reason that we struggle with the first command and why it's called the greatest command is because Jesus said it was the greatest command in loving God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind because that's the command we break every time we sin. So I promise you, if you think about your sin today, and we probably all committed some kind of sin today, whether it was just a simple uh, lustful thought or a lack of care for somebody or whatever it may have been, you did not love God in that moment. I mean, just think about it, right? Just didn't love God. So, so he says that here's what you need to do. Here's what our lifelong goal is, is to follow him. He, he loves his son. He loves the Godhead with all of his heart, soul, and mind. We love God as he loves himself and loves his son. We are to love in the same. And then we're to repeat that with our neighbor. You're probably thinking about, you know, the Joneses next door. <laughs> but it's really the idea of anybody you come in contact with. Now, John 14, 15 says, If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Now, I love that verse. You say, well, Scott, how do we, how do we walk with God? We live in this crazy world. I, I'm a sinner. I, I'm wretched. I, at times, I just don't trust my own self. That's probably good. You shouldn't. 
We, well, so how do I keep these commands? And you're not talking about, for us as, as, as New Testament Christians, as, as believers on this side of the cross, we're not talking about those Ten Commandments or those 365 other traditions and laws that were added to it. We're not talking about that because there's all kinds of commands in the Scriptures. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loves the church. It's a command. It's not a suggestion. Right? Children, obey your parents. It's not, it's not a command. I mean, it's not a suggestion. It's a command. So there's all kinds of commands in the Scriptures. Well, how do you do that? Love the Lord. I cannot consistently love my wife if I don't love the Lord. I will fail over and over. It is that walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. It's that surrendering to him, putting him first, wrestling with that morning and night at times, waking up and giving my heart to the Lord, just like Jerry did with that, that prayer that was on the card. It was his whole idea. Many of us have done this. He had a little twist to it and wrote his own prayer out. Lord, I'm starting this day with giving myself to you. I don't trust myself, so I'm going with you today. <laughs> right? So this is why John says, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And then he says this, 1 John 5, 3, and his commandments are not burdensome. Now why would he say that? Because he's not asking us to become legalists. He's asking us to become lovers. Lovers of God. Isn't that a big difference between a legalist and a lover? Which one do you want to be married to? Thank you. <laughs> I had to wait for that one for a little while. Some people are going, let me think. <laughs> I mean, just having a friendship. Guys you want to go out and golf with or go out and hang out with, do you want to be friends with a legalist or a lover? Which do you want to be with? So the Lord's pushing us to be lovers. Love the Lord. This is not burdensome. People look at Christians and they go, oh, you guys are a bunch of idiots. You give up your Sundays. You go, you go somewhere and you waste three hours with a bunch of BFGs and DTPs and RCCs and whatever else you do over there. They don't get it. And a lot of people, they're going to church because they're legalists, not lovers, right? So South's got a church on every corner, right? Everybody goes to church. Out west, nobody goes to church, but, but they all think they're going to heaven too, so don't, don't worry about them. They think they're going there. And there's a difference between legalist and lover. Which are you? Do you love God? And you say, I do, Scott, but I struggle. Tell him that. See, that's what Jerry was doing with us Sunday. He was reminding us, Hey, he already knows it anyway. Why don't you tell him? Because <laughs> we have this whole pretend thing, right? If you're struggling, you, you know, you try not to tell your wife. Well, well, you can't hide that from God. He knows that. So tell him. And I got to wind this thing up. It's, it is the most fascinating fact in all of Scripture that just as God's love involves giving himself to make us joyful, so we can, in return, give ourselves to make him joyful. Think about that. So God gives himself for our joy, for the bride's joy. And you and I, as the bride, can set ourselves apart for him and him alone, not taking anyone else but him. Does it sound like your wedding vows? 
only for him, it brings him great joy as the groom. You cheat on your spouse? Don't cheat on God. You belong to him. Make your groom joyful. Listen to what he says in some of the Old Testament passages. He looks forward to drawing in that remnant that's out there, this Jewish remnant and that he'll draw someday. Isaiah 62, 5. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so your God rejoices over you. Isn't that amazing? Zephaniah 3.17, the Lord your God is in your midst, a, a victorious warrior. He will exalt over you with joy. He will be a quiet in his love. He will rejoice over you with shouts of joy. So he talks about that remnant and bringing him in, but really is, is a verse that we can apply to ourselves. He shouts over joy for us. We're his bride. I, I'll never forget the day of my wedding. My cheeks locked up. Because I was smiling probably more than I've smiled my entire life as she walked down that aisle. And the pastor prayed and I did this trying to get him to unlock. Beautiful bride. Gift from God. I had so much joy in my heart and she had so much joy in her, in her heart. And we knew God had put us together and we knew he had a future for us. We knew he loved us. Sometimes you forget that, right? See what renews your marriage? The love of God. <laughs> Not going to some 36 weeks of marriage encounter, which I don't know what they do there anyway, but this is what it does, right? Get in the Word. Get close to God. John 15, 11, these things I've spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. Isn't that amazing? The bride wants to have a great, joyous relationship with us. The groom with the bride. Last one, four, love covers a multitude. Now, I know you probably said, Scott, you kind of left off part of that verse. Yeah, I know it. First Peter 4, 8, above all, keep fervent in love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sins. I understand that. But I think love covers a multitude within the scriptures. The Bible is telling us to love a lot of people. And God is asking you to do this. In John 13, 35, Jesus said, By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. But you go, well, Scott, isn't that the church and Christians? Well, certainly, that could be. Listen to 1 Thessalonians 3, 12. Paul says it this way. And may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in your love for one another. This is 1 Thessalonians 3, 12. And then he says this, And for all people. So, Love covers a multitude. So we, we, we who love God and, and we work on that and we confess sin and walk with the Lord, love will call, cover a multitude of people. Now, you may be in here and you have an unsaved spouse or, or you have unsaved children. God is calling you to love them unconditionally. He calls us to love a lot of people. Matthew 5, 43 through 44, God says, you have heard it said, Jesus said this, you have heard that it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That's what they actually said back then. Because <laughs> Jesus says it, right? You've heard it heard. Love your neighbor, um, uh, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Well, Jesus says, well, I'll tell you something a little different. Love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. See, see love covers a multitude. Agape love 
will love people who hate you. That's a tough one, isn't it? Okay, whoa, hold on here. There's got to be a line somewhere in the sand, isn't there? Well, go be a missionary somewhere. Well, you are, really. I mean, do we all have people in our life that are hard to love? Anybody? Maybe you don't. I got a couple. A little more difficult to love. God says that he gives me this kind of agape love. He has demonstrated it in front of me even while I was still a sinner. He has empowered me by the Spirit to understand how to love even my enemies. And if that wasn't enough, Jesus did it for you as he hung on the cross and said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He demonstrated it in the last moments of his life on the cross so you and I would follow that. It's hard, isn't it? I mean, we just want Valentine's Day and love and kisses and hugs and all that stuff and, you know, maybe a box of candy. I hope you get all that. But this is what God wants out of us. He wants devotion. So love covers a multitude. Uh, Love also submits to others. First Peter says, honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God and the king. And he goes on and talks about servants to be submissive to their their masters, even when they're not kind to them. And he goes on to say, well, what credit is to you if if you do what's right when they're nice to you? you Wait a minute, that's not fair. I'm making minimum wage and this guy's just on my tail all day. He says, yeah, submit to him. Love him. See, as believers, we, we, we do live in this group right here. This is our family, right? This is our family. We love each other, and there's a need. We try to meet each other's needs. We, we try to be mindful of each other. But it goes beyond, doesn't it? God put you in the house you're in, whether you like it or not. Well, I don't like my house. It's not enough. I want more. God put you in that house because he has had a neighbor next to you that he may want to reach. I mean, just think about the missional aspect of where he has us. Now, he may move you. He may give you the finances and the ability. It may open opportunities for you to move. But while you're there, he has placed you there. And you go, well, you don't know how bad my neighbor is. His dog does this. and you know, Love him. Because God loved you. And now we start working through family. Husbands are to love their wives. Ephesians 5.21, husbands, love your wives. Agapeo, your wife, just as Christ agapeoed the church and gave himself for Wow. Come on, Lord, this is getting steeper. I'm not God. How am I supposed to do that? You think he can empower you? You think he can forgive you when you fall? I mean, this is what our battle is, right? Get up in the morning, Lord. As Jerry said, what are we doing today? I would say it this way. What are you doing and can I join you? Right? Where are you going? And and, and let's go together and let's figure this out. And the first person is, for me, she's laying right there. And the kids are down the hall. And the in-laws are somewhere. And the the parents and, 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 and relatives and friends and coworkers and people I know at the store. Those are all part of that loving. But men, let me start with you and myself. We must love our wives. We must die to self. It's difficult at times, isn't it? We are, we are selfish by nature. But God commands us to love them. To love them. To give of ourselves. This is, you know, if you want 
if you want that joy, you go, Scott, man, you're talking about joy that I don't have. If you want that joy, love them. Do you think, well, I just want them to love me. I want them to meet my needs. Do all this stuff for me, because then I'll be joyful. No, you want, you just want more. And you won't be happy with what she gave you. God says, love them. Unconditional. Jesus stepped out of heaven, a body, sacrificing, offering you did not desire. Men, getting everything you want <laughs> is not what you should desire. But you've prepared. God said, Jesus said, you prepared a body for me. And I stepped in and we follow Christ as he followed the God. And, and we walk in his pattern. We're imitators of him. It is a battle, men. Every one of us that are married know, men, that it's difficult at times. And as we get a little older, I pray that we grow in Christ more. And we have that opportunity to live that out. That's why marriage counseling is so important. How many, without raising your hand, never had marriage counseling? Serious marriage counseling where somebody spent 10 to 12 weeks with you, preparing you, helping you understand to the best of their ability through the scriptures what your picture of men was supposed to be when you went into marriage. Most people don't get it. I see a lot of heads shaking their heads. And you went through lots of battles, and, and by God's grace, maybe you're walking with the Lord and you love your spouse now. Praise the Lord for those things. But we, we work very hard on this. Because we know, we, we're, we're, we're husbands too, going, yeah. And we got to be consistent or we don't get to do this. So we know that battle. Next one, wives love your husbands. Well, I don't think that's any picnic either. In fact, that may be tougher. Gene and I argue who has got the tougher job sometimes. You go, oh, you got to picture Christ. Oh, you got to submit to this. You know? We go back and forth. We go, well, let's just love each other and love the gospel and Wives, be subject, hupatasso, line your affairs up underneath your husband. What's he doing? Where's he leading me? Line your affairs up underneath him. And not just because he's him, but the verse goes on to say, as to the Lord. Offer your life to your husband as a worshipful act to God. That's love. That's what Jesus did. See, Jesus is always the example, right? Jesus said, Father, I submit to you. Not my will be done, but yours. I submit to your plan that you laid down for the foundations of the world. I'm going to go at it just perfectly as you laid it down. So the husband, he's supposed to love her like Christ loved the church and gave himself up. She loves her husband like Christ loves the Father. And God gets all the glory. Titus 2, 4 says wives are to be teaching this to other women, particularly younger women than the Lord. And, and ladies, let me challenge you. I really went after the men here a few minutes. Let me go after you a little bit. If you're a mature woman, meaning you know the Lord, and you've been walking with him, who are you mentoring? Because Titus 2 is not a suggestion either. Older women, mentor young women. Teach them to phileo their husbands. Women come, they give agape love a lot easier than men do. I think this is why Paul separated the words, right? He told men to agapeo their wives. He told women to phileo, affection, emotion, um, embrace. It has, it's a sweet relational uh, love. Because I think women just naturally, they, they birth children and they do all kinds of things that men would just go, uh, yeah, I can't do that. 
And so they, they, not naturally, but maybe it comes easy to gapeo. They're selfless in many cases, not all cases, but in many cases. But what they lose is their passion sometimes. And so older women teach younger women to be passionate about their husbands. To long for them, to desire them, to be one with them. All of that goes from the bedroom to the kitchen to the church. And we're to be doing these things because love covers a multitude, right? It's a lot of things God's asking us to love. Parents are to love their children. The Bible goes on to say to bring them up in the admonition and instruction of the Lord. We're to love them. They're hard to love sometimes. They hit that double-digit thing and something goes wrong upstairs. I remember our boys got in junior high. Honey, I, I don't know what happened to him, but he's not there anymore. He, he's there. I mean, he's standing there. He's got clothes on, but I don't know who he is. Kids, junior high, coming. Love them. Love them and, and lead them towards me. Point them towards the Son. Point them towards Jesus Christ. Help them understand God. And dads, when you fail them, you've got to ask their forgiveness. You've got to apologize. You've got to say that was not a picture of God because they will form their view of God of how you handled them so often. And when you are heavy-handed, they will think God is a heavy-handed. And when you are passive and not engaged, they will think God doesn't care. Dads, Engage with your children. Love them. Forgive as you have been forgiven. Discipline as you've been disciplined. Be active, involved in their lives. Moms, full of grace and mercy. Work together, moms and dads. If, you're, if God has given you a mom and dad and you're there to work together, if you're single, um, ask God for tons of grace and divine wisdom through the word of God and, and seek counsel for help. It can be done. These are commands that God has given. One don't is don't love the world. Do not love the world nor the things in it, 1 John 2.15. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father isn't. So there's a don't love there. And last one here, love the church. I could spend weeks on just what the Bible says about loving the church. And, and through all the years of ministry, Jerry and I were speaking about it these last couple of days, and it's just a battle for people to love the church. One is you're following leaders who are very fallible at times. We're not perfect. It's based on likes and dislikes and what has to offer and doesn't offer and this one doesn't do this and that one. And, and what's lost is just doesn't love the church. You know what God loves? The church. He loves the church. So much that he said, son, this is the plan. You're going in down there and you will be slain for them. Wow. That's love. I'm going to give you up because it's the best thing for them. Love the church. Hebrews 10, 24. And let us consider how to stimulate one another. Love one another and do good deeds to one another. Not complain about each other. Well, I don't like this guy. Or I don't like that gal. I don't All goes on and on. Love the church. You want to be right with God? Love his church. You want to get in a lot of trouble with God? Don't love his church. He, he, he will come after you quickly. It costs a son. It costs a son. You ever see a parent that loses it when somebody mistreats their kid? 
<laughs> God doesn't lose it, but I'll tell you what. He does not like. And I warn people, and, hey, I, you know, you think you've got to go somewhere. <laughs> uh, careful. Be careful. It's not me. It's the church. Be careful. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22, since, since you have, in obedience to the truth, purified your soul, souls for sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another. And it says this, a little prepositional phrase, from the heart. Oh, I love the church. Do you love them from your heart? Do you love them from your heart? Ah, so much more. Closing a couple of verses. I just threw these in for extra. Jude, chapter 1, verse 21. Keep yourself in the love of God. Jude, 1, 21. Keep yourself in the love of God. Does that mean you can get out of the love of God? Well, I don't think salvific, right? We can't separate ourselves from God. We can't lose our salvation. But it's talking of us personally. Where's the love of God? And I want to be in that. Well, it's right here in the Word. It's in fellowship with one another. It's, it's obeying Him and walking and loving Him, with tr- striving to love Him with all our heart, mind, and soul, loving our neighbors. That's what it means. So Jude says, keep yourself in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. Paul says, longing, not only for me only, uh, 2 Timothy 4, 8, I believe, not only for me, not, not as a crown laid up for me only, but for all those who love His appearing. Here's when you know you're walking with the Lord. You can't wait to see Jesus. When you're not walking with him, he's probably the last one you want to see. And not that you lose your salvation if you're not in the right place there. If you're saved by God's grace, but there's a demonstration in your life. There's a love that flows out of you. But I'll tell you what, when you don't walk with him, he's probably the last one you you want to see parting the skies. I got to quit. This is fun, huh? Happy Valentine's Day. (laughs) love the Lord give him a valentine's tomorrow morning get up and do as Jerry said what are we doing today Lord right Father you're good to us we're the wretches you're the perfect one but you had a plan to save us we often wonder at it Lord because we don't quite measure up on our own in fact we don't even get close but you love us and you, you seek our best interest. You desire this relationship with us. You want our joy to be full. Hmm. Lord, teach us to live like that. To love like that. Lord, well, whoever's in our life, may we demonstrate, emulate, imitate that kind of love. So I pray for all my brothers and sisters here, myself included, Lord, that we'd be imitators from our hearts, Lord. Lord, if there's anyone in this room who doesn't know Jesus, they've tried to come through a different door, through some other religious experience or or something that, uh, that isn't truly born again by the work of God, Lord, I pray tonight that you would open their hearts and rescue them from their sins, Lord. Set them on this journey of pursuing this level of love that is as amazing, that keeps us worshiping and singing and longing for your appearing. Father, I pray for those who have lost loved ones. We have widows and widowers in here, Lord. And they hurt at times. 
and they miss that human love of their life, may they be thrilled tonight what their loved ones are experiencing. That they're experiencing perfect love by the Trinitarian Godhead that is exercising that love in front of them even now as we speak. And there's no sin restraints and their understanding is wide open and they are in full worship mode. But Lord, we long to engage in those type of relationships and we know that someday when we're in heaven we will experience love in its purest form, Lord. And we long for that. But it is no excuse that we should not be pursuing it here, Lord. So help us. Stay in the race. Stay in the fight. Keep the faith. Keep running. Thank you, Lord, for your patience with us. You demonstrate your love to us every day. We pray that we will show that in our life, in our actions, in our heart, in our minds. In Jesus' name, amen.